ninth chapter of um, the book of Luke, the book of Luke, and what a chapter it is. And uh, I'm going to read you something, or maybe a couple things. What was on the minds of the early church? Can you think about that? What would be on the minds of the early church? You know, Jesus had lived, obviously. He died. He rose again. He appeared to them. And the church exploded. You know this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he ascended back into heaven. And I'm just going to read you a couple things that maybe the church had on its mind. Uh, I'm looking on my phone because I have a couple of the scriptures saved there. Uh, but here's something. Let me, let me read you something from the book of James. The half-brother of Jesus Christ. What does it profit, my brothers or my brethren or sisters family, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled? <laughs> Man, the Bible's funny. That could be on an episode of like Seinfeld or something right there. Hey, we think such great thoughts of for you. We're, we're praying to the Lord for you, and I know you're, you, you walked in here and you have no shoes and you have no coat, and it's, you know, 20 degrees outside. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to send you out back the door while coats and shoes are laying right here. And we're going to pray for you. And the early church, James in particular, said, boy, that's, no one would say that. No one would just say, depart in peace, be warm and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? <clears throat> Thus, also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Now, come on, folks. Know, know what you know from the Bible. The Bible's clear that you're saved by faith through grace. It's not of works. It's the gift of God, lest all of us would boast. And I would be the chief boaster, let me tell you. Now, you, you don't get saved by works, but... but a, faith, a saving faith, one who's filled with the Spirit, is saved unto good works. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And so people who are saved, Holy Spirit-filled people are to do good works. Do you see that? What are some other things as I pull up my scriptures here? Well, let's read in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. What are some of the things, the lessons that these early guys and gals learned from the Lord Jesus Christ and then uh, from being trained in the church? In 1 Peter 2, look at this, 9 and 10. Uh, this warms my heart because I like to be chosen. Anybody here like to be excluded? No. You like to be chosen, right? Do you? I like to be chosen. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You get this? His own special people. So what are we to do? 
with uh, the knowledge that the Lord has chosen us, we've responded to his call, and we become a part of the body of Christ, what are we to do? Here it comes. That you are to proclaim, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you. Look, what do you praise the Lord about? You ever thought about that? Like, I mean, do you just make stuff up? No, it's in his word. It's in the accounts. He died and rose again. That's what we praise him for. And one of the things that happened to you is you were called out of darkness into the marvelous or into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You folks, Holy Spirit-driven people, filled people, look at this. You do good works and you proclaim the good news. It's so simple. So I read you those things. I'm just trying to give you what was on the minds of the early church based on the teachings of Christ or the life of Christ, the the reality of Christ. And that's what I'm trying to do here this morning. Hold up for us the realities of Christ because the realities of Christ are grand and glorious and majestic. And if we are to be transformed and made new, it will be by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, but not just, you know, hearing pithy statements on social media that mean nothing, but by hearing the Word of God. And when you read in Romans 12 that your life is to be a sacrifice just laid out before the Lord, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and the way in which the Lord sanctifies you or transforms you is by the renewing of the mind. And when that happens, when the Holy Spirit then comes into your life and begins to make you Christ-like and gets you to start studying his word so that you'll be healthy and blessed and holy and Christ-like, you get it? The things that start to pour out of your life is eternal fruit, good works, and according to God, and the praises, the glad tidings. Wouldn't that be an amazing name for a church? Maybe we'll rename our church. The Glad Tidings Church. What's interesting about that is glad tidings mean you have to know who you are. And the Bible tells us that we are sinners. Now, that doesn't seem very glad. You've fallen short of the glory of God, and so have I. We're the Glad Tidings Church as a body here. We're to go to proclaim the good news, the glad tidings, his praises. His plan of salvation. That's what we're to do. We're sinners saved by grace. That's why that's glad tidings. We recognize we're sinners and we can't do anything on our own. We sang it about today. Yet the Lord saves us from our sin. He pays the penalty for our sins, comes into our lives and makes us new. And we do different things. Trust me, folks. (laughs) There's probably only one person in here, but she knows I do different things now, and and so do a lot of you. You do different things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now with all of that, go to Luke 9. We're in this part that's called his Galilean ministry. Galilee is in the north of Israel. There's a middle part of the land of Canaan called Samaria, There's a southern part called Judah. So three parts to Israel. Judah in the south, Samaria in the middle, Galilee in the north. 
Jesus' earthly ministry was headquartered, I say headquartered because he stayed up there, in the northern part by the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, that was his headquarters, okay? So now that we've oriented ourselves, and now that we know what was on the mind of the early church, let's read what Jesus uh, does here in chapter 9. Then he called his 12 disciples. Remember, they're a ragtag bunch. They're different people. Some are rich, some are poor, some are really political, some are apolitical, some hated each other outside of Christ, literally hated each other, and he brings them all together. He says to us just in that ministry, the way in which God's plan of salvation is going to travel the world is through people connecting with people. So he calls these 12 disciples together and he gives them power and authority, power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. There you go. That's what was on the minds of the early church. Do you see it? Preach the gospel, do good works. Heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and don't have, don't have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from these depart, and whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Do you see it? This is what Jesus taught them. This is what was on the minds of the early church as evidenced in the writings that we even read this morning. Get it? We learn and grow in Jesus. Well, here, they departed and went through the towns. They did, not Jesus. They were preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. That's a big step. You see it? And now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by uh, some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. And Herod said, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And the apostles, when they had returned, they returned from preaching and teaching. They're so happy and so proud of themselves, right? Like we all would be. He told them all that they had done, and then look what Jesus does. How, how beautiful is this? He took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida, another city outside of the headquartered city. Jesus was in favor of men's retreats. That's my own little thing. <laughs> okay, that's a joke, but he was in, in favor of retreats. You see this? He knew they needed to rest. Women's retreats, too. I, I'm just saying... Uh, you see, he got them alone to debrief them. Do you catch that? And to give them some rest and such things. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and heals those who had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and countries and uh, lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men, which means there was probably between 10 and 15,000 people because they were just counting the men, husbands, 
The wives were there. The kids were there. So there were a lot of people there. And they said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. One of my favorite scriptures of all time, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up into heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they ate, all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. People scratch their head at this. I want to help us answer why he would say this, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, not just take up his cross, but take it up daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Somebody should sing that. Oh, they do. Okay. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. I want to give you a different perspective of that one. And in his fathers and of the holy angels, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. What? And then the transfiguration, a boy is healed. I don't know if we'll get there. Jesus predicts his death. They have this fight about who is the greatest man. It's so perfect, the Bible. It's so real. And then Jesus talks to them about being divided. They go to a Samaritan village and he's rejected. And then cost of discipleship ends out this, we'll see how far we get. But let's pray before we go. Lord, thanks for this word. And uh, we just ask for your help, Lord, because this is a lot to chew on. But I pray it's a blessing for many, starting with myself, and that when we would go out this year, we would shine with your love and your light to a world that uh, is hurting, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, he calls these 12 disciples and he gives them uh, power and authority. Power and authority. Warren Wearsby says power is the ability to accomplish a task. Power is the ability to accomplish something, a task. And is, uh, the authority is the right to do it. And Jesus gives both to his apostles, his messengers, his sent out ones. And he, sends, and he gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. It's the, listen folks, disease and death, the greatest enemy of man. And the Lord has totally taken the sting out of it. When our eyes shut here, when we're in Christ, it's just the opening of eternity for the Christian. It's nothing to the Christian. Of course, we're sad. Of course, we grieve when people we love go there. Of course. But in Christ, the person that we've lost, so to speak, and I'm saying that with quotes, we haven't lost. We'll see them again because when they close their eyes, it's a welcoming right into the Lord's place 
heaven and the Lord is there and they're happy and there's no more sickness and we've talked about that on our Wednesday night study. Well, that's the greatest disease or thing that is against man outside of Christ. And of course, behind all of this is the enemy of our souls and there's demons. There are demons. If you don't believe me, just read Ephesians and they're organized. They're fallen angels who are organized and they can't inhabit a Christian. They can't possess a Christian. Greater is he who is in me, us, than he who is in the world, but they sure can send fiery darts. And we are to take up our uh, uh, armor every day and to withstand the wiles of the devil by our spiritual armor, the shield of faith. We, and how do we get faith? Through the Word of God. We preach to ourselves, not in some phony, false way. We preach the word to ourselves, and the Lord preaches it to us, and he brings it to remembrance, and we fight those things off. But there was some real realities in this day and also today as well, where there are some people who are really sick, and there are some people who are really bothered or even, shall I say, outside of Christ, inhabited by demons or the, the enemy. And there, uh, he sent them to preach. Now, not him. It's up until this time, it's been him. But now he says, I want you to go. I want you to go. You 12, I want to teach you now, not book learning. I want to teach you book learning, but I want to teach you life learning. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you out. And oh, by the way, it tells us that Jesus went and preached during this time in another gospel. So he sent him out on his own. How big is that? So they go out and... He says to them, now this phrase here is really familiar to them because to a Jewish person, there was some extra biblical tradition that revolved around going into the temple. And when you went into the temple, you weren't supposed to make it commercial at all. You understand that? So if you even had something on, like your business coat, I don't even know if they had business coats, I'm kind of making that up, but if you had like your, your coat that you wore to, wore to work, the, the rabbis would say, don't, don't wear that to the, to the synagogue, don't take your money belt and the stuff, don't make it commercial, of course, you know the stories, they did make it commercial and it really upset Jesus. Well, here he says, take nothing for the journey, neither staves nor bag nor bread nor money, and don't have two tunics apiece, travel light, he says, you catch that? Whatever house you enter, stay there. Well, wait a minute. Let's talk about that for a second. Travel light. You understand that's what the Lord's calling us to do today. If your possessions possess you, or if my possessions possess me, if there's something in your life, a car, a coat, a fashion, I don't know, designer, uh, Nike shoes, and that's a problem for young teen boys, I know that, uh, cell phones, if, you, if something possesses you that you can't give up, guess what, folks? You have an idol in your life. And the Lord says, listen, don't worry about that stuff. Travel light. Travel light here to them, but travel light to us. Don't have your heart attached to a lot of things here. Your life isn't here. Your life is in heaven. Okay, so he says, don't take anything for the journey. And then he says, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. See, this right here is radical. And here's why it's radical. This is a bunch of Jewish men. And what would happen for a Jew is when they would come out of a Gentile area, a non-Jewish area, guess 
Now listen, that's independent of this story. Look what a, a Jewish person would do when they would come from, here, here's the line, you know, you know, it goes from Ohio to Pennsylvania, and you try to fight to see who gets in there first. At least that's in our family because we're competitive. But you know, when you travel the line and you cross over the border, you, you know what a Jewish person would do when they crossed over the border back then? They would take their shoes, their sandals, and they would stamp because they'd been in Gentile territory. Are you catching what he's saying here to the people he's going to share with, even the Jewish people that these Jewish people share with? Are you tracking with me? He's saying to them, if you go somewhere to a house or to a city and they're not responding, do this thing. And that's going to send a message to the people that you've done all you can do. Are you catching that? That you've done all that you can do. You've shared what Jesus is all about. And now it's time, not that you do it in a cavalier way or a cold way, or you say, oh, I'm never going to be back. But what you say is, I've done, I've shared with you, and you haven't responded. And this is a sign, bang, bang, with your feet. That, And to a Jewish person, that would be radical because that was saved for the Gentiles, get it? Okay, so he tells them to do that, and they departed and went through the towns. And what did they do? They preached the gospel, the good news, and healing everywhere. Okay, so they do this. And now, uh, by the way, let's talk about this for a minute. Some of you are interested. I know you are. Folks, can this happen today? Of course it can happen today. Of course people can be healed, and of course people uh, can be dispossessed of the devil, Uh, but of course, even more importantly, for those who are in Christ, we can sure uh, fend off uh, the, the fiery darts of the enemy. Are you catching what I'm saying? And I think sometimes why it doesn't happen more and more, at least you don't see it that much, is because we're so consumed with ourselves here in America. Maybe go over and try a third world country where sometimes some of these things happen on a more prevalent level. But let me caution you about something. If you study the book of Acts, I'm going to get emails about this, by the way. If you study the book of Acts, there's about 30 or so miracles. 30 or so. You think there's a lot because it's all packed together, but there's about 30 miracles. Now watch, over about a 30-year span. I'm not good at math, but the average is one miracle a year. Are you catching what I'm saying? Jesus said in uh, other places that signs would follow the followers or his disciples. Do you understand this? That signs would follow the followers. Jesus talked about, and he was uncomfortable with signs that he could do anytime he wanted because he had perfect reliance upon the Father, but he was uncomfortable with just giving people signs because he knew if he did that, they would neglect the Word. And the Word is what saves But we have a whole generation of Christians, just go watch Christian TV, who chase signs first. Now, I'm going to get emails and they're going to say, well, you don't believe in signs. I do believe in signs. I do believe in wonders. I do believe the gifts are for today. Yes, I believe it. But we have a rabid culture of Christians that have no depth because they run around to the signs. Oh, it's happening here in this part of the country. We'll go there. 
Oh, it's happening over there. Oh, oh, it's happening over there. And it's shallow and it's inappropriate and it's wrong. But what, do, what does Jesus say? Jesus say, I want you to know the gospel first. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Live your life in such a way where you're preaching the glad tidings and signs shall follow. Well, here what happens, he's Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is getting out now. Things are happening. I wanted you to notice something. In this gospel, Jesus has been teaching and preaching. Now he sent his people out. Listen, the people of God, just 12 of them, made such an impact in the area that the king hears about it. I wonder sometimes if even the local city council would wonder whether we were here or not. Here, he makes such a, I pray that it's so, but he, I hear uh, here the king, Herod the Tetrarch. He, he's the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the one in Matthew 2 that tried to kill all the babies. Herod, uh, 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 this Herod, Antipas, is the son of Herod the Great. He, you're going to see a few times him, uh, or encounters with him here, He's wondering. Remember, he's the guy that cut off the head of John the Baptist. Why did he cut off the head of John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist came or was railing against him and his wife, the wife that he stole from his brother, who were committing, and he said, You're committing adultery, and they put him in prison, and ultimately his head was cut off. That's this Herod. Jesus in Luke 13 says, They say, Hey, you know what? Herod wants to talk to you. And he says, Tell that fox I don't want to talk to him. Jesus, I want you to see something else. Jesus didn't care if he was a celebrity or not. He didn't have to rub elbows with the rich and the famous. That's a word to a lot of our pastors today, a lot of our churches today. We just think because somebody's famous and we can plop them up on Instagram, our numbers will blow up. Oh, my goodness. Lord, help us. Here... Herod is uh, entering the scene because, uh, because they've made such an impact in the region. And he wonders because his conscience is guilty. Uh-oh. And some people, by the way, extra-biblical sources say John the Baptist and Jesus looked a lot alike. John the Baptist and Jesus were related somehow, okay? And they say they looked a lot alike, and he's like, oh my goodness, is this John the Baptist who's risen from the dead who's going to come back and get me? Kind of like Scrooge. That's what he's thinking here. Oh, my goodness. I'm perplexed. I'm anxious. I'm worried. Is this him risen from the dead? Some say Elijah had appeared. Why would uh, 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 this writer say that? Because in Malachi, right? You understand this. Elijah had to come before the Messiah. We know that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. But anyway, that's why he would say it. Elijah, is this Elijah? Oh, then he says this other thing. Or maybe he's one of those old prophets that had risen again. In Deuteronomy 18, for you Bible students, there was this prophet that had to come before the Messiah. Or they, so they thought. Really, Jesus was that great prophet. But anyway, these are the things that are uh, pouring through Herod's head. Now, that's interesting because Herod knows some of the Stuff from the Hebrew Bible. Of course, he's an Idumean. He's kind of from the, not kind of, he is from the family of those. But, but anyway, these people are making an impact in the culture. Don't you want to make an impact in the culture? 
Yes, we want to make an impact in the culture. We don't just want to be in a cocoon in a little place in West Elizabeth where a cocoon is the church. We want to take the gospel, the glad tidings to the streets, man. Well, the apostles, when they'd returned, told him all they'd done. He takes them to this city called Bethsaida. That's so beautiful. Uh, one commentator says this about this story, especially when the multitudes knew it. They follow him and receive them. I'm so bad about this. Are you bad about this? I'm bad about this. He says, uh, this invasion of Jesus's and the boys, the, the 12 uh, apostles, this invasion of their hard-won privacy, listen, was not resented by Jesus. Oh, my. Listen to what I, how I said that. I, I, I've got it from a commentator. Uh, they, Jesus did not resent the invasion of his hard-won privacy. Here he is. They've been working. He's been working. Can you imagine what the apostles are saying right now? Oh, yes, man. We get a debrief. I get to tell him what I did. We're just going to go alone over to Bethsaida, get away from the people, get away, just for a time of rest and relaxation. And rest and relaxation is appropriate. But we're going to get away. And as they go away, the multitudes follow them. You imagine if you were an apostle, what you'd be saying? Could you, I mean, come on, folks. Could you leave us alone for one day? But Jesus doesn't resent it. <laughs> nope. He says, receive them. They're accepted here. No matter how busy we are, no matter how uptight we are, no matter how much we need rest, when people are around and there's need and we get a share, let's do it. And he doesn't do it in a resentful way. Man, do I need that in my life. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He told them about the kingdom of God. And then he healed those who had been in need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, what a way to say it, huh? That's, do you get what he's saying? That's how I would write it. The day is wasting, man. Leave. The writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the day is beginning to wear away, and the people know it. The 12 came and said to him, send them away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we're in a deserted place here. Lord, we need some time with you, and we're not equipped to take care of these people. Uh, catch this. Catch this. And the Lord could have just said, you know, whatever. He said, Lord, just send down the manna, okay? Because I don't know what we're going to do here. Uh, but if you send down the manna, we'll be all fine, right? Send down the manna. He'd be all good. They'd be all good, right? He doesn't say that. He says this. He took the opportunity in the middle of a time when they were really bothered. You get it? Really on edge. You, you know that place where your nerve, you're on your last nerve? You've, somebody's invaded your privacy or invaded your personal time, and you know you've just been thinking about it for a couple days, and you've been real busy, and then this naggy person or people come, and, and they're on your last nerve, and the, the, here, just, you know, Get him a pizza and have him go away. Is that, is that what's happening here? Look what Jesus does. He just turns around and he says, hey, how about you give him something to eat? I could do it. He didn't say that. I could do it. But this is for your growth. 
This is for something that you need. This is faith living. This is Holy Spirit living. This is ministry. If you're looking, folks, for a time when ministry is convenient and your schedule is open, well, forget it, because it'll never be that way. Ministry and serving and loving costs, and it costs you your time. Here, he says, you, you give them something to eat. He uses this opportunity. They're on their last nerve. He gives them the opportunity to participate in the ministry. Now, remember, they liked the signs. I want you to catch this. They liked the signs. They wanted to get up on you know, the stage. Okay, it's my turn. Okay, we had 14 signs at this one camp, yeah, and when we were there, this person and this person, and they stood up. It was so amazing. But then when it came to just, listen, give somebody something to eat, they're like, what's that? Give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. Now, you know the story. A little boy had a lunchbox. Well, I don't think it was a lunchbox, but... His mom had packed him some food. And he got some of this from the little boy, for there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. Now, this is just fascinating. It's one of my favorite stories of the Bible. And here's why it's my favorite. Two reasons, or may, maybe many more than two reasons. But one, one of the reasons is the Lord doesn't give up on us. I'm faithless. Lord, we can't do this. I mean, there's 15,000 people here, and really, I'm on my last nerve, and I don't want to deal with them. That, that's what the apostles are saying. I don't really want to deal with them. I just want to be with you. I just want to spend, you know, time with you. And, I just, and, and the Lord says, well, you give them something to eat. And you say, well, I can't. I don't know. Let's just send them away. We're out in the desert. Listen, listen. Do you see that the Lord doesn't give up on him? He said, oh, oh, you can't do that. And I don't think he says it smartly. He says, listen, can you have them sit down in rows of 50? Can, can, you just, can you just have him do that? Do you think you could do that? I don't think he's saying it smart eloquently like I would. Can, can you just have him do that? Just have him sit down. See, that's another beautiful thing, kind of a side trail, rabbit trail, about ministry and discipling people. Get them involved. You, you know, I got to tell you, I'll just be honest, this, came, this little fellowship came out of a living room. <laughs> I like things done a certain way. You know the hard thing for me to do? Here, you do it, and then I watch, and they don't do it the same way I'd do it. I'm not saying they don't do it right or wrong, but they don't do it the way I would do it. You know what's really hard for me is to keep my mouth shut. Here the Lord says, oh, you don't think you can feed them? Okay, hey, how about this? Have them just sit down. Do you think you could have them sit down? Get people involved. In discipling, get people to do things. Let go. You don't have to be a control freak. I'm talking to myself when I say that, by the way. <laughs> but let them do it. Let them have ministry. Here's the other thing it says to me about groups of 50. There were rows. There were aisles. You say, well, geez, that ain't that big a deal. Well, it is a big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. It's because now in feeding them, after the Lord blessed them and broke them, I want you to see in verse 16, he gave them to the disciples. How, 
how was it he, he was able to get the food to the disciples because rows were made or aisles, which means in order to minister anything to the people, they had to keep coming to the Lord. He made the way open for them to come to the Lord each and every time they were going to minister. You're going back to give to the family uh, over in aisle seven? Come to me. Oh, you're going over to aisle nine? Come to me. You can't possibly carry all the baskets. You deliver the basket. You go back and you receive from the Lord. You go deliver the basket. You understand what I'm trying to get at? He, he did it on purpose so that these apostles, these people would know that without Christ, even the simple thing of walking down and delivering a basket couldn't be done appropriately. It's, it's, it's amazing. What else does this story tell us? Well, it tells us, of course, that God often provides in really unexpected and unexplainable ways sometimes, right? You've been at the end of your rope with a bill or a person or something, and the Lord has totally worked it out. And you go, how did that happen? I, I don't know. Before I overanalyze it, I'm just going to say, thank you, Lord. Sometimes he just does things in really unexplainable ways. What else does it say? One of the other things it says is that, that if anybody in that uh, fellowship left hungry, it was their own fault. They must have left too early. They didn't sit down according to the instructions. They didn't hang in there because there was enough, folks. There was enough. <laughs> the Lord's so good. There was enough for the 12 apostles themselves left over. There's 12 baskets. That's not by accident. What do we do when we do ministry then? What do we do? Just take anything we have. Folks, the Lord's put it on your heart to do something. The Lord's put it on your heart to do something, or he's asked you to do something. How do you do ministry? Well, listen, take what you have, hand it to the Lord. Pray about it, have him to bless it, and then obey him no matter what. When people tell you that's a crazy idea, that's a silly idea, that's a dumb idea, it'll never work, but you know that the Lord has told it to you and you've taken what you have and you've given it to the Lord and then he's blessed it and you now have, you're walking out and you're obeying him and no matter what. Sit down in groups of 50. Sit down in groups of 50. Can you imagine if you were 15,000 people and he's saying that? What? What's one other thing? Make sure you're a broken person. <laughs> Not a broken person like can't function. We mean spiritually, of course. Spiritually broken because the Lord fills up those who are broken. <laughs> he gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Isn't that a beautiful story, a beautiful thing that the Lord took his followers through and now asks you to look into. Oh, here, how about this then? It happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. No notice that Jesus's life, Luke tells us more than anyone, Jesus's life was a life of prayer. If there was one thing that Jesus did all the time, constantly, consistently, well, he did lots of things, but one thing it was is he was a, he was a man of prayer. I just want you to think about what your prayer life's been like this year. I'll think about it in my life. 
This man is a man of prayer. And his disciples joined them, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? I, I love it. You, you know what I used? I, I, nobody in my family went to college, folks. So I graduated from college, and then I went on to law school, okay? And I get into those first-year law school classes, and I'm going to tell you something. I was bugged because there's this thing called the black-letter law. You just tell me the law. I Just tell me what the law says, and then I'm going to try and learn that and get an A on that test. But see, here's the problem. Nobody in law school tells you the law. You know what they do? Is they ask you the questions so that you'll learn the law yourself. And here's how you learn. You take a fact pattern and you apply it to what the law is. Anybody can go look up the law. You can go look it up on Google now. You don't need a lawyer to look up the law. But the art of the lawyer is he's learned, or she, she, he or she has learned to ask the right questions. That's why they question you all the time. When you come into their office, they want to know the facts because the facts dictate what's your outcome. More, almost more than what the law says. Get what I'm saying? And Jesus here wants you, and, and by the way, when you ask questions through the Socratic method, you learn it yourself. You just don't regurgitate stuff. Jesus is the king of Socratic method. He asks them and says, hey, who do the crowds say that I am? Because Jesus has something to teach them. They're doing some stuff. They're enamored with the signs, but he wants them know, to know the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he gets to this place where they failed in feeding They went out by themselves, and they were doing what we would say, okay, but then Jesus brings them through a place of faith and trust and dependence, and just quite frankly, they failed miserably. And of course, Jesus was there and taught them this lesson. So he's, he wants to get them to the place where they're solid or learning or growing. So he asks them a question, who do the crowds say that I am? And they go, well, John the Baptist. I explained that to you. John the Baptist paved the way for the Messiah. Some say Elijah. I explained that to you. Others say one of the old prophets. Get it? He mimics what Herod had said, or they mimic, mimic what Herod, because these were the things that the early church was looking for. Malachi, the prophecy about Elijah, and then the Deuteronomy 18 prophecy. And he said to them, and this is so important, and if you haven't listened to anything else here today, if you've listened to nothing, you're, this guy's going on way too long. I'm just trying to get in so I can get to the Steelers. Here's the question of the ages. It doesn't matter what other people say. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? Now, Jesus is truth, and he's never going to change. And I'm not saying that Jesus changes for everybody, but for you internally, who is Jesus to you? It's the most important question for those disciples, and it's the most important question for us. Who do you say that I am? I don't know if you remember this, but Peter in second, uh, excuse me, Paul in 2 Timothy 1.12 said, I know whom I have believed. And he didn't say, I know what I have believed. He said, I know whom I have believed. To me, Paul said, 
I know who Jesus is because he's revealed himself to me and I've studied and been with him and it's been beautiful. I don't know a doctrine, I know a person. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, this is the second time he's confessing the Christ of God. I want you to see something, folks. The right answer to that question is a matter of life and death. Turn with me real quick. Turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 24. You know all these scriptures, but I want you to see it. Turn there, and I want you to see it with your own eyes. If you don't know whether you're going to heaven, you're sitting in here, you're listening online, and you don't know whether you're going to heaven, you can't afford to miss this. You can't just say he's some good prophet. You can't just say my grandma believes in him. You can't just say I go to church. You can't just say I give money. You can't just say I clean the church. You can't say I play in the worship band. You can't say I'm the pastor. None of that's relevant to whether or not you go to heaven. You're a saved individual. None of it. Here's what it is. In John 8, verse 24, read this. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus here predicting about his departure and where he is going to go. If you don't believe and surrender your life to Jesus Christ, listen to this, and this belief is not just, oh yeah, yeah, I know Jesus, I go to Christmas service. Oh yeah, I've been to Easter service my whole life, I know Jesus, that's not this. Believe is like what you did here in that seat today. I'm sitting here, but I don't really believe in that seat yet until I sit in it. (laughs) And that's when I believe. And Jesus is saying, when you trust me for your salvation, when you surrender your whole life, you've now believed, you've repented, you've agreed with him and walked towards God. That's when you believe. That's what you must say. How about this in 1 John? Now, 1 John is at the back of the Bible, almost to Revelation. Go there to 1 John 4. <clears throat> 1 John 4. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. Here it comes. Ready? If, if you don't know if you're going to heaven, here it comes. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and is now already in the world. You, you must believe that Jesus died, or was born as a virgin, from a virgin, excuse me, from a virgin, here born as a man, young baby. He was fully God, fully man. He lived on this earth. He died for our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of God. And he paid the penalty, the price for our sins so that we don't have to. The great story of Abraham and Isaac. It's so horrific to me. Praise the Lord, I don't have to do that. He died and rose again. He paid all the penalties so that now you can be justified just as if you never sinned. And oh, by the way, he puts into your spiritual bank account for those who believe and trust your, or excuse me, his righteousness. So when Jesus 
is asked, how perfect do I have to be to get into heaven? And Jesus says, well, you have to be as perfect as the Father is in heaven. You go, wait a minute, I can't be that. And Jesus says, right, you can't be that. Depend on me. Okay, so go back. He said, who do you say that I am? See, lots packed into there. And Peter answers rightly, and he says, you're the Christ of God. You're the expected one. You're the Christos. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're that one. Now watch. He does something really interesting. Do you know what? when we're reading right here in Luke 9, Jesus isn't dead yet. <laughs> I'm being funny, but it's important. Here's why. Because Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. What? I thought I was supposed to be a spreader of the gospel. But at this time, Jesus knew that people were more interested in signs and wonders and all that sort of thing. And he needed to teach the apostles something. And this is something that they need to know and that you need to know. And Christian TV really needs to know it. The Son of Man has to suffer. What? We want the kingdom, man. We want you to come back and defeat these evil Romans and set up shop here on earth, Lord. And the Lord says, hold on, hold on. Before all of that, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. And then listen to this, and be killed. And then be raised the third day. Now, he talks about this later on in uh, chapter 18. He talks about it. He just has to keep explaining it. See, he needs us to know. He needed them to know. He needed them to know that you can't get to glory without first enduring the cross. You can't. There would be no sacrifice for sins. There would be no payment for sins. There would be, you would be short-circuiting God's plan of salvation. It pleased the Father to bruise him. He says, you, you got to know this. Don't just think we're going to come and to be here and have a political kingdom that's overthrown the Romans. Oh, we'll get to that. But first, there must be a suffering and a death and a rising up to defeat death. If, if we don't teach that, if we don't know that, if that doesn't happen, none of this happens. So he says to them all, how about this one? If anyone wants to come after me, if anyone desires to come after me, remember, he's always given, already given the parable of the sower. There are a lot of people in the world who desire to come after him, but it doesn't last. He said it, not me. Here he says, if anyone really, like this word here is like, really. <laughs> I want you to know something first. He says, you're going to get $1,000 suits, amazing cars, beautiful houses, vacations, all the money you can handle. He doesn't say any of that crud. Here's what he says. You really want to come after me? You want to follow me? You want to be somebody who's a follower of Jesus Christ? Then deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, I want to talk to you about what deny yourself is. See, there are a lot of people in the country who think denying yourself is not eating like fish on Friday. That ain't denying yourself. That's giving up something. Oh, I'll give up 
all caffeine. There's a church in Utah that tells you you can't eat caffeine or drink caffeine. A church, I don't know if it's a church, but you get what I'm saying. There's a whole religion based on that, denying yourself, denying yourself stuff. That ain't this. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's not giving up fish on the... Am I upset if some of you give up fish on Sunday? No, that's your right, and if it helps you to worship the Lord, great. But that's not what he's talking about here. That's what I'm trying to tell you. This is a denial of self, the self-life. You understand that there's this self-life that you have? There's this life. It's the, it's the old life. It's the old nature. It's the fleshly nature. I read this to you a couple weeks ago. I might read it again, but the, what he's saying is you give up your self-life, your, your ambitions, your desires, you say, wait a minute, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> and he exchanges them for his own. Everything that Jesus has becomes yours. That's what he's asking you to do. He's saying, put the cross on your back of your own life, which means when a cross goes back here, you're never coming back. It's over for you. The sentence has been pronounced. You're saying that I'm dying to myself and I'm going to follow you. You're going to become the Lord of my life. We have a bunch of people who call themselves Christians that know nothing of this. Remember what R.A. Torrey said when he was speaking on abiding in Christ? Being, He said, the sap or the life of the vine constantly flows into the branches. He's the vine, we're the branches. There's no independent life of their own. Everything in them was simply the outcome of the life of the vine flowing into them. Their beds, their leaves, or excuse me, their buds, their leaves, their blossoms, their fruit were really not theirs, but the buds, leaves, blossoms, and fruit of the vine. And here's what he says, renounce any independent life of our own to give up trying to think our thoughts or form our resolutions. Pretty interesting for today. Or cultivate our feelings and simply and constantly look to Christ to think his thoughts, to form his purposes, to feel his emotions and his affections. It's to renounce all life independent of Christ and to constantly look to him for the inflow of his life into us and the outworking of his life through us. I'll give you this quote because it's too good not to have. And the point is that's taking up your cross. By the way, you don't get to take up your cross and get saved. Once you are saved, you are a taker-upper of the cross. I know I, that's bad English. And this is the path of discipleship and sanctification. You take up your cross. This is what you're going to do if you follow me. You're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But once you become saved, this is who you become. You understand it? And so you follow me, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Do you understand, folks? Catch this. There's a whole world of people, including in the church, but really outside the church, just walking around, think they're doing the right thing. They're living for their kingdom. They're building their money up, their 401k, and that's the most important thing. Is there anything wrong of a Christian to have a 401k? No. 
but they're, they're, they're trusting in their 401k, they're trusting in their white picket fence, their ability to go uh, hobbying all weekend and all week, their ability to buy this and to buy that and to travel there, and that's their kingdom. And the, the point is, we've been taught that since we're little kids, and Jesus says, if you do that, you'll have the worst life you could ever have. You think it'll be good, but it's nothing. It's like cotton candy. It'll just vanish in a moment. But if you'll give up your life, as we spoke here, uh, as R.A. Torrey told us about how to deny ourselves and take up our cross, if you'll do that, you're going to gain all life for all time. For who, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man, will be ashamed when he comes as his own glory and in his father's house and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Okay, I'm closing with this. You're saying, but listen, this is an interesting thing that really trips people up. Actually, I think I had somebody ask me this this week. They felt bad because they didn't share with somebody they thought they should have shared with. And I want you to read it. And I want you to think about what you know of the Bible. You know, here's Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. <laughs> I mean, at the most critical time. <laughs> this is critical. You're going to find out in the worst times whether you got friends or not. And Jesus certainly did. <laughs> and you know, this guy named Peter, who's kind of the leader of the early church, or who becomes the leader of the early church, you know, he's a fisherman and he's brash and he's bold and he's, you know, manly and testosterone flows. And here at the most critical time, they're up there and, and Jesus says, you know, uh, at the Last Supper, you know, I, I, you remember now, boys, I got to go and die. <laughs> he says, No. You're not doing it. And Jesus says, no, I, I got to do it. And he says, listen, I don't care what happens. I'll never deny you. <laughs> and about a couple hours later, he gets there and the girls come and ask him, hey, aren't you the one who was with the Jesus? He says, it wasn't me. By the way, one of the gospels says he cursed at them. He actually said curse words. No, 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 no. Seriously, wasn't that you with Jesus? <sighs> Not me, man. What did Jesus do with Peter? <laughs> Jesus took Peter and uh, restored him there on the shores of Galilee. Uh, Peter was instrumental, of course, at the uh, Pentecost and the building of the early church. And through the power of the Holy Spirit in this man, Peter, the, the church just began to go mushroom. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Wasn't that a shameful thing that he did? Oh, yeah. Wasn't he ashamed of Jesus there in the courtyards of the, t uh, the, the, uh, the palace there? Pfft, yeah. So when you read this again, whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's house. Instead of focusing on yourself of whether or not, see, the Lord can take you and use you again and again and again. I think what the Lord is trying to tell you is there's nothing I do that would ever make you ashamed. I, I, I know you might struggle. 
But ultimately, I'm going to bring you into this place, listen, through my death and resurrection. Where you're going to be able to come into the kingdom because I wasn't ashamed to come down and to be your brothers and your, you know, your sister. You know, I wasn't ashamed to be here like you, a human being. Nothing I do will ever shame you or make you shamed. And when you come to the kingdom, you'll always be welcomed in. I want you to think about that. I understand what a lot of people say about that verse. But Peter sure screwed up, and God still used him. So as we move out here today, I didn't even get to my musts. I'll do that next time. Uh, There are some things that Jesus said he must do. And you know, we like to make New Year's resolutions, right? But here's what I want to do. Let Jesus do the work. Must. I'll go through those next week. And I want to glob onto him. And just let his life flow in and through me. All right. Amen. So here, here, let's do this. As we close, if you don't know whether you're going to heaven, you don't know that you've surrendered your life to Christ, and you want to talk about that, I want you to come up right after. If you leave here and don't know that answer, I don't want you to leave here. We're going to come. Are we going to sing or are we not going to sing? Okay, no song. I went over. Uh, but if you don't leave here without that, okay? Who do you say that Jesus is? The most important question of your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I just pray that it's invaded all of our hearts by your spirit and it's found good soil for those who've surrendered their lives to Christ and maybe somebody who hasn't. And I pray, Lord, that you would work that out and grow it and that it would blossom and bloom into a life of service and love and daily cross-taking up. (laughs) Help us, Lord. We need help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.